Today we talk to Diego Sora. He's a very experienced EXO consultant and coach, and we talk to him about being a head coach and a coach on a sprint and the successes he's had on it. So I'm sure you'll find this very interesting. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to the Exponential Organization Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Pepler. The world is changing at an exceptional rate. Companies need to not only continue to innovate, but also grow exponentially to keep up. This podcast will introduce you to the principles of exponential growth and how you can adopt them into your business. This show is sponsored by Ideastorm, a leading exponential growth consultancy. We can provide services ranging from an hour advisory call with a network of over 3,500 consultants worldwide through OpenEXO through to the 10-week EXO Sprint. So visit www.ideastorm.co.za to find out more. Today, our guest is none other than Diego Sorai. Diego started as an architect and artist, and in 2006, he was awarded the Entrepreneur of the Year Prize. Later in 2012, he won the Global Impact Competition Award that gave him access to graduating at the Singularity University Global Solutions Program at NASA's Offutt's Field in San Francisco. There, he became part of the foundational community that led to the EXO movement. Today, he is head coach and master trainer at OpenEXO, and he helps some of the largest companies navigate disruption. So welcome to the podcast, Diego. Um, thanks for having me, Lance. It's a pleasure being here. Um, Diego, could you give us a, an overview of your background and how you became involved in the EXO world? Mm -hmm. Okay, absolutely. So the first time I heard about uh, EXO, it was uh, when I was actually studying at Singularity University, this think tank created by Google at NASA and some other um, massive entrepreneurs, that uh, I accessed this program via competition, the Global Impact Competition, and then I was there sharing a space at NASA in Buffett Field for over uh, two, two months, a little more than 10 weeks, with uh, 80 people from, uh, sorry, 40 people from 80 uh, different 80 people from 40 different countries. And that was an amazing of an experience. And there I met Salim. Salim Ismail had been conducted a research on exponential organizations and he had written a book. And that book called our attention of many of us, a hundred people that initially gathered around the book and we started focusing on the attributes that he described, this concept of the exponential organizations, and how we could use and leverage those attributes to start helping other companies navigate the um, disruption. So that was the beginning, and that was back in 2013, I believe it was. Yes, and uh, how did I get there? Well, actually, my uh, path towards disruptive innovation and coaching and consultancy has been a little abrupt. I started as an architect, and uh, well, as an architect, I always loved the massive transformative effect of the exponential technologies. And I figured that they could be applied not only uh, to massively changing uh, the way we build, but also what we understand as a collective space. And also, um, I started offering my services, not exactly as an architect, but, but as a creative consultant. I created a company that I called Quantix, Quantix Creative Lab precisely to help organizations understand what else they could be doing with the products, how they could change their services, and also how they could change their operating system to be much more innovative. I would say those two interests on Singularity University and the EX Award and on the finding those little things that make big difference um, converge on my activity now as, a, as head coach and lead trainer at EX Awards. 
Yes, I think anyone who's gone through the coaching certification has come into contact with you. I, I didn't. I've just finished it now and I had Yuroslav Dukopol, but most people will know you and um, be, have been facilitated by you. And how many EXO sprints have you been involved with, um, you know, personally and run with it as head coach or a coach? And, you know, which sprints have stood out for you personally? Okay, so the number of sprints, I don't know exactly. I think it's uh, well over 12. Uh, actually, in considering all of the different roles that you can have in a sprint, I think it might be uh, something over 25. Because uh, you know that uh, in a sprint, you can be involved uh, just during one call as an advisor or as a disruptor, which is uh, uh, like a conversation that you have uh, in, in person with a, with a clients, uh, or you can be a coach or a head coach. So there's many different roles. And if I consider all of them, probably uh, over 25 sprints. Um, as a coach or as a head coach, which is the most demanding and most active role that you can have during a sprint, I'll say the number is reduced back to uh, probably 10 or something like that. And uh, that I believe still I might be among the, those ha who have more experience during a sprint coach. I actually was part of the foundational sprint, which is something that I'm uh, pretty proud of. It was like the very beginning. And now ah. I just went through the... No, I've right. never heard of anyone who's done 10. I've interviewed Lars and um, Augusta, and they haven't done 10, I don't think. Maybe Lars has done 10, but I haven't encountered anyone who's been head coach 10 times before. And so maybe... Mm -hmm. If you could tell us what stood out for you, you mentioned the initial run. Was that with Procter & Gamble or was that with um, the Mexican insurance company? So it was with Interprotección, the Mexican mm -hmm. insurance company. Yes. Uh, there was a previous experience in which Salim by himself uh, ran a sprint with the Procter & Gamble, uh, but that wasn't open uh, to any other coaches. So I would say that the foundational one, the foundational sprint, with these 10-week structure, et cetera, was Interprotección. And why? And, and why was it uh, such a success? And why do I stick around? Because I'm not actually part of the core. I mean, I've been assuming many uh, relevant roles in, in, uh, related to OpenXO, to EXO Works, et cetera, but I'm not part of the core of the organization. I, myself, am also staff on demand. But I'm here because I've seen that this print actually does work, it does deliver, and, uh, and also because I learn a lot. This is an amazing learning experience for not only the participants, but also the coaches. I mean, you get to work with amazing clients from all around the world, and you also get to work with amazing coaches and uh, all of the different roles that converge into a sprint. So for myself, it's also an accelerated learning um, experience. And that's precisely what I want to highlight. I, I would say that uh, the majority of the sprints that I have participated on uh, have been a massive success and a massive learning opportunity for myself and I would say also for the participants. But how do we measure the success of a sprint? Well, actually, there's many different approaches uh, to measuring it. One of them might be the number of initiatives that we have. But of course, the core initiatives and the edge initiatives have completely different purposes. I mean, they both converge at uh, disruption. They're both either a reaction to disruption or an effort to become the disruption. But the outcomes of those initiatives are going to be completely different. So, and so will be the metrics. You cannot measure the outcome of a core initiative as you measure the outcome of an edge initiative because they have different time horizons and different purposes. But even if we go a step beyond that, I would say that the greater outcome of a sprint is 
probably the most difficult thing to get actually, which is the transformation, the transformation of the mindset and the operating system, the acquisition of new framework, new perspectives, and new tools uh, to be applied in the face of disruption. And in that sense, even though it's hard to apply metrics to that mind, uh, collective mind, sh mind shift, uh, I would say that is probably one of the most interesting outcomes that we deliver during the sprint. If, if you look at a sprint, um, what are the challenges that normally come with a sprint? Because, you know, you hear about the coach and the sprint and motivating people, motivating teams, getting them to work the 30 to 50% of their time, you know, on the sprint process. What have, what have stood out for you as difficulties or challenges that you encounter um, running a sprint at a customer? So, oh, there are actually many, many different uh, kinds of challenges, uh, depending on Actually, first of all, depending on uh, the maturity of the client, how uh, ready they are to understand uh, the, the need of a sprint, that, that makes a huge of a difference. But also the specific uh, people involved in the sprint. From the sponsor level, do we have a very involved sponsors or do we not? Uh, in some cases, they have amazing teams come up with great initiatives, like really exponential initiatives. And because they did not find consistency on the support of the sponsor, uh, those initiatives just didn't take forward because uh, the um, participants did not feel fully legitimated. So that support from the sponsors is critical. But um, of course, the, the difficulties at the core and at the edge might, might be slightly different. Um, we are creating a space for to legitimize a completely different kind of behavior and a different kind of thinking. So having people making full use of that umbrella right away, starting on week number zero of the awake session, is uh, not that obvious. So we need to be very protective of that space. Uh, the dedication is also critical, but I would say that probably if I have to signal just one thing, I would say is the, the team dynamics. We are creating a new space in which we need to have different team dynamics. Uh, just because we have a senior leadership participating on the sprint, that doesn't mean that their criteria should be imposed uh, over everybody else's criteria. So creating that safe space for disruptive thinking, I would say is probably one of the main challenges. As week evolved, probably the main challenges of week number one and two is thinking far enough, is not conforming with uh, whatever first application we can think of and really disrupting our own way of thinking, pushing the boundaries of what we believe is possible. And that will only happen during week number one and two. If it doesn't happen on those two weeks, then we'll see that the process will just not unfold as efficiently and as exponentially as it could. Week number three, there's a massive challenge because, well, systematically, actually, we are asking participants to work in a way that they're not used to. And that creates some friction. And actually, people will be looking for certainty in the methodology. And of course, the methodology does not bring certainty. It brings amazing framework and, and amazing tools, but it, the, the outcome is not necessarily certain. So you have to run the process to be uh, able to signal or to, uh, to be specific about the outcome. We have very little time. People uh, are used to working with uh, certainty, with control, and we're not getting uh, any of that. We're not letting them uh, test during a sufficient period with uh, uh, enough tools, their hypotheses, their assumptions. So that means further tension. They do feel the urge of being exponential, but they don't have the time. So, you know, if we go week after week, we'll see that there is a lot of different uh, um, difficulties to overcome and that is why the support of the coach is so important. 
Now, I assume some listeners of the podcast will want to be on sprints as a coach and a head coach. I mean, I certainly do. What it, I've always been interested, what is the relationship between the head coach and the coach? Is, are there regular meetings between the coaches and the head coach? Does that happen at the beginning of the week? How, how does that relationship work to make sure that the coaches are on the right track and are performing well for their teams? So the head coach has a double uh, function. Basically, it's the interface with the client. He needs to be able to understand the client's logic, limitations, and needs, etc., and to talk to them. To talk to them also to um, uh, to make sure that, to instruct the client on uh, what to expect from the sprint and to educate them uh, precisely on the uh, exponential transformation, the abundance concept, etc. Because the client, the sponsors themselves, will not go through the sprint. So sometimes what happens is that we have amazing EXO initiative and the client just don't have has the, the framework uh, to understand the, the kind of initiative. So it is the role of the head coach to... Uh, interface with the client and to educate the client in, in that process. But also, uh, the head coach is uh, the responsible for bringing uniformity to the process. Um, how do you interpret uh, the methodology? How do you interpret the application of the methodology in that very industry, in that context? How do you uh, apply or how do you evolve the very methodology and connect to other existing methodologies? Uh, the consistency is going to be given by the head coach. So the head coach actually is the main figure that introduces the weekly assignments and also he's the main figure providing feedback on uh, each week in which each week's assignments on the presentations on Friday and after that comes feedback from the coach uh, or, or from other advising roles and also the coach and the head coach sorry the head the head coach and the several coaches typically four coaches two at the core and two at the edge and uh, we meet uh, every week at least once or even twice, depending on the evolution of the sprint and the teams, uh, to grant that consistency and uniformity and to understand specifically with this client what is working well and what might not be working that well and what little tweaks uh, we could do to perfect the delivery and to perfect the output of the sprint. Ah, okay. So that's very interesting. So do you have a Zoom session on a, let's say, Monday morning with all the teams and then the Friday afternoon or the Friday morning session with the teams is the feedback? And do you, so you run that yourself, Diego, um, it sounds like, is that right? Yes. Huh. Yeah, and I mean, then, it is very interesting. And then the coaches, Sorry, do, they, do they then have other sessions with their teams after you've given them the, the task for the week? Oh, yes. Yes. So we start on Mondays with an internal meeting between coaches and head coach, typically. And that is a private internal meeting in which we... Um, we, we understand the evolution of the sprint, the evolution of the clients, the evolution of the, sorry, of the client, the evolution of the teams, the initiatives, et cetera. And we decide where we need to uh, put some emphasis or some more focus. We also decide things like what additional content, masterclasses or support the teams could benefit from. Okay. And then we uh, review the assignments. So this is a state of the art regarding the assignment. These, these are the tools and the interpretations that we want to bring specifically to this client. And these are the kind of difficulties that the team might find. So we anticipate all that. And then we jump to the meetings with the core or uh, to the, with the edge teams. Uh, typically, there are two different kind of uh, uh, calls in which we explain the weekly assignment for the call or the weekly assignment for the, for the edge. The head coach does that and uh, both core teams with the coaches participate. And after that meeting, what we have is the coaches meeting with their teams to 
further analyze uh, the assignment to describe to, to to make sure that there is a shared understanding of what the objective of the week is and how it can be uh, decomposed into several milestones also we have a description of the the milestones and we have a allocation like a team time allocation resource allocation uh, for the milestone and the assignments to be successfully met by friday during the week the meet the team meets several times with the coaches uh, to make sure that everything is on track uh, and uh, and on friday we have this delivery they have one hour um, interface with uh, the head coach and also with the coaches uh, to present the results of their assignments and also to receive feedback, structured feedback, both from the head coach and from the coach. And after that, the, the coach meets with the teams to have what we call the retrospective call. This uh, retrospective call is, uh, comes from the agile world and it was introduced in this context by Sherry, one of the amazing coaches that we have. She's from Australia. And she proposed to introduce this uh, feature uh, post presentations on Friday. And I would say it's bringing amazing benefits because during, during that retrospective, uh, the teams focus with the coach on what has worked well, what hasn't, what can be improved for next week, etc. So uh, very effective. Just want to stress the fact that this methodology and this framework and these tools that we are proposing are very uh, they complement existing uh, frameworks and existing methodologies, uh, such as a Lean Startup or such as a Design Thinking, etc., but with the new foundations brought by abundance, by disruption, and the exponential transformation. Oh, thank you, Diego. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for spelling it out like that. I appreciate it. Now, everybody knows the success, or maybe not everybody, but most people know the success of Internationale. That's how you pronounce it. The, the Mexican insurance company. How did you pronounce it again, Diego? So it's interprotección, interprotection. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and, um, but maybe you could just go through it briefly. Um, uh, the, the big success there was the earthquake, is that right? And how the teams got together and were able to use the thinking to come up with policies. But maybe if you could take us through that briefly, or were there successes before that as well? Yeah, so I would say, I mean, interprotección was an amazing client. And believe me, we work with in general with really amazing clients. I mean, we need uh, people uh, that are uh, getting on board to be the, these kind of exponential leaders, the kind of leadership that is a little more aware of the complexity of the challenges that we have ahead of us. And in that sense, they are uh, very curious and very open uh, to be led through new, completely new paths. That happened in Interprotección, that also happened in Racini, that happened in HP, uh, that happened in Spain, in Sareb. I mean, it's happened systematically with, uh, with the majority of the clients uh, that we've had. Um, so everybody has described how effective the reaction of Interprotección to the earthquake was. It's a documented story. You can find a lot of information about this case study because it was a massive success. But I would say that there are many, many others uh, that we might not be stressing enough uh, during the process. For example, uh, in the HP Sprint, well, actually we've done several sprints with them. Uh, we were able to um, acquire a completely different perspective, not only on the company itself and the disruptions that might affect that company, which is a, an amazing outcome. Uh, output of what we do in a sprint. But also, I would say they were able to understand themselves as potential disruptors. So let me get back a little bit. Nobody thinks that disruption will affect them uh, instantly. Nobody uh, uh, sees 
who will uh, disrupt them, but even less number of people see themselves as potential disruptors. And that is one of the output that I believe we were able to, uh, uh, to do in, at HP. They understood that one of the core capabilities that they have is precision placement uh, of these little drops of ink in a, in a surface, which happens to be paper in general. And they understand that that capability that they have could be applied in completely different sectors or arenas, as Rita McGrath describes them. Uh, arenas such as the makeup, arenas such as the health industry. I would say that requires even more of a bold approach than a reaction uh, to disruption. For example, in another sprint that I really, really uh, enjoyed working at, at Rassini, Rassini were the providers of uh, suspension uh, mechanisms for pickup trucks and for uh, cars in, um, I think they were, they were among the, the largest providers in the world and definitely one of the largest providers in America. They work with com uh, for companies such as Maserati and Tesla, etc. And uh, with uh, my team, we were exploring the concept of exponential design. What would uh, this concept, if anything, mean? exponential design? What would be the disruption of design? Um, myself being an architect uh, and being very familiarized with the concept of design, it was easy for me uh, to understand and to explain that we designers are going to be disrupted very soon uh, by means of uh, combining um, you know, new technologies, AI, generative design, etc. to the process. We will become the curators of design instead of the designers ourselves. And so we were exploring this concept. And during this process, the teams understood that the kind of problems that they were facing ahead were no longer only uh, the weight of the components uh, that they work with. And in that sense, they were able to reduce in only five weeks uh, from eight to 14% the weight of the components that they're working just by means of using new tools. But also they were able to understand the completely different challenges that the new exponential technologies were bringing to the table. For example, the noise. The noise was a variable that in their case was uh, not that big of a problem because the noise of the engine will cover for that noise in the past. But now the electric engines are noiseless. So that means that every little squeaky that their components would make, that suspension engines um, mechanisms would make, would now be an issue. But in the past, they had no parameters to describe that noise. And by means of using these exponential technologies, these exponential design tools, now they were able to track a little bit more of the noise and understand the relevance of a new problem, which is the noise in their space. That, that sounds amazing. That sounds absolutely incredible. And it's always very encouraging to me and hopefully the listener as well to hear what the successes of sprints and, and what they've resulted. So thank you, Diego. Okay. So can you maybe just to end off the, the interview, could you tell us a little bit about Quantix Creatives Lab? Is that your company that you own? And, and what does it do? Okay, so I have actually launched, I believe, uh, four companies uh, so far. Many of them, well, many. I would say at least two of them have been, well, either a failure or they have been temporarily successful only. Quantix was the first adventure that I created. I came out of, a, uh, of a, my training as an architect with the conviction that I could leverage technologies to create massive changes, uh, both at the social level, but also within companies. And uh, so everybody loved the projects that I worked at. Uh, many of them were consulting projects. Uh, with uh, very famous brands. Many of them were um, um, artistic projects, technological artistic projects. And uh, there was 
a massive need for an overarching uh, umbrella for all of these projects, for all of that activity to be systematized. So I figured that I would, I needed to create uh, what became Quantix, uh, a lab, a creative lab, to host whatever kind of venture, crazy venture, uh, typically with a strong technological base that I wanted to develop. And that was the origin. Uh, it evolved into what is now um, creative consultancy, which is a parallel effort to what uh, I've started doing at EXO, uh, works at OpenXO and Fast Track Institute, is re-understanding, reassessing uh, the opportunities and the challenges ahead and helping clients, uh, many different kinds of clients, navigate uh, those, um, uh, those challenges. My secret weapon is creativity, creativity and non-conformism. Mm, yeah, that sounds fantastic. And is that by yourself or do you have people working in the company with you? So uh, the moment in which there were more people working with me, I think we, we reached some eight people, eight, wow. yeah, eight people. Sure. But uh, typically we've worked systematically with collaborations. I mean, um, sometimes you need to work with a, another artist or a media company or a engineering company or a, another lab. So, uh, you know, we basically leverage and, and uh, connect uh, based on the, on the clients and based on the projects that we have, which mm. makes it much more interesting. Um, Diego, if people want to contact you, how should they do it? So there's um, a couple of ways, easy ways. Uh, actually, there's three. One of them would be via the OpenExo platform. You can find my profile there and you can see what I've done, etc. Another one is uh, my my uh, sites, uh, there is one called uh, diegosoroa.com, D-I-E-G-O-S-O-R-O-A.com. And you can find the contact information there. And another one is uh, quantix.com, which is C-U-A-N-T-I-C-S.com. So uh, by means of doing, of visiting those sites, you'll have an, an, an understanding of the craziness of the, of the initiatives that we have developed. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So, Dago, we battled to have this interview, but I'm really glad that we did. So, thank you so, so much for joining um, us today. Um, and I really appreciate you. you. Um, and I hope you, the listener, found this interesting, as interesting as I did. And if you'd like to contact me, then please do. My email address is lance.ideastorm.co.za and my website is www.ideastorm.co.za. And so, until next time, next Sunday, I hope you guys all have a great um, week. Bye-bye, Diego. Thank you for joining us. Bye. Thank you for having me. See you around.